Hello and welcome to another episode of Green Through. And today we will be presenting another sustainable development reality called the Jade Shona. Today here with us, we have Gado Sundaram, whose day job is as a VP in the research and development wing of a large IT company. However, he's also involved in a personal project of his um, aimed at restoring the natural habitat and biodiversity of his native land called the Nilgiri Hills found in Southwest India as a result. Who is the Badegas tribe and how is their history intertwined with the Nilgiri Hills? What is so unique about the flora and fauna found in the Nilgiri Hills? What is Jade Shola and what is the vision for this pilot exercise in the Nilgiri region? Going forward, how will it be possible to scale up the work done at Jade Shola in order to boost its reach and impact? Tune into today's podcast to find out the answers to these intriguing questions and enjoy the podcast. <laughs> Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of Green Through here today with us. We're with um, Gadu, and I think we can, you know, just start with a brief introduction regarding, you know, what your normal nine to five is and, you know, your involvement with your outside of work hours um, project. Hello, Eric. Uh, thanks for having me on your show. Uh, really appreciate it. So my name is Gadu Sundaram, uh, originally from, from India, but I live and work in the UK in Edinburgh. Um, I work for a large Japanese uh, IT company uh, in the research and development wing. So I do um, technical due diligence for them and uh, you know, assess various uh, products, technologies, etc. So getting involved in things like uh, big data, IoT, and all such modern technical things. That's right. my that's my day job. Okay. Right. And uh, I think we can start regarding, you know, because I think the, the story that we're here to present has got to do with where you're from. And I think, you know, we can provide a bit of a, let's just say, an introduction regarding Badagas uh, tribe and, you know, the Nilgir Hill, which is, you know, you can pr- provide yeah. a bit of information regarding that and, uh, you know, how it's um, a passion of yours in terms of um, project. Definitely, definitely. So we are a small tribe uh, indigenous to the Nilgiris Hills, which is in South India. So the Nilgiri Hills is a part of the um, Western Ghats along the, it's, it's, it's a range of mountains along the west side of India. It, it's got an average altitude of uh, 2000 meters above sea level. Uh, now this, uh, the, the UN Mountain Partnership Database describes the Badagas as um, the indigenous mountain people of, of the Nilgiris. Uh, total worldwide population is only about 250,000. That's it. You know, um, we're not really sure of our origins. Okay. We had settled in the in, in, in the upper reaches of the Nilgiri forest hundreds, probably thousands of years ago. Right. Uh, and we led a quite a sustainable life. So we used to uh, cultivate millets and beans and small patches, and we lived in harmony with a few other indigenous tribes. And we were isolated from everything else that was happening around us. Um, and, and that was because, right, like we were surrounded by pretty much impenetrable jungle all around, and we were kind of self-sustained there uh, on, on, on top of the hills. Right. The, the first documented account, if you like, uh, was in uh, April 1603, okay. when there was an Italian Jesuit, pri- Jesuit priest, a priest called uh, Giacomo Fenicio, there you go. Who, <laughs> who, you know, who who lived in the in the in the western in Kerala, right? Like you know, sort of in in uh, uh, in, in the sixteen in the, in the late fifteen hundreds and sixteen hundred, who decided to go on an expedition up into the hills. So that 
took several days. He took some missionaries and some soldiers from the from the local uh, local king. Right. He, went on, he went on an expedition, and he wrote an account of the expedition where he he mentions meeting the Badagas and and a few other tribes. Uh, that account. Uh, the original script is actually like you know, sort of in the uh, Victorian Albert Museum now. That's interesting. Uh, so that's that was sixteen zero three, and the a long time ago. <laughs> and, and and the next contact with civilization, if you like, was uh, in eighteen nineteen. Uh, by eighteen nineteen, the 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 British East India Company had established its rule all around. Um, and uh, there was a guy called John Sullivan. Uh, he was a collector in one of the districts in the foothills. He set out to explore the hills um, after uh, he heard some stories about the hills, say, right, like, you know, sort of there's lots of animals, the weather is, is, is very cool and things like that. So he, he obtained an order from the British East India Company. And in, and, and in his words, right, like, you know, sort of the, uh, the actual order was investigating the origin of the fabulous tales that are circulated concerning the Blue Mountains to verify their authenticity and send a report to the authorities. So okay. that, that was his original right. <laughs> mission. So he came up, he liked the, um, the weather, he liked what he saw. It's, 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 a, it's a plateau, right, like, you know, sort of at the height of 2,000 meters, okay. and it's very different to the to the hot weather right like in 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 rest of india so right. he settled down he settled down there and he he established a british colony called okay. Oti. right um eventually like in, there was a military cantonment the sanatorium was built and it it kind of became the summer capital for for uh, british rulers uh, so the british were the first uh, outside influence okay. for the Badagas. Uh, we've pretty much isolated before that. Um, so considering the age in which he lived, uh, John's attitude towards the local population were remarkably progressive, right? Okay. And he he helped bring schools and access to education for this for the tribes. Okay. And so, starting as late as 1900, where we were basically pastoral pastoralists living in the jungle. Okay. Um, we increased our literacy rate to about 100 percent now so it's just, right yeah just just from 1800 just in, in in within 100 years um we still have a base in the villages in the hills and and, and a majority uh, of us earn a living through small tea gardens but some of us are kind of well educated and have migrated across the world for work and, right and we, are, we are there you know sort of globally right um for the for the people who are behind for the tea planters the commercial situation has not been kind and uh, okay uh, it's, it's it's not yielded good returns for the past few decades right okay. so uh, in terms of for the people you know i would say you know the fellow tribe people are still there um yeah how do they because you know you've been able to go away and you know build your career here in the uk yeah. But um, for them, so would you be able to just briefly summarize what they do on a daily basis? So on their own plot of land and, you know, how do they go about their day to eat and, you know, sustain a living? Yeah, so um, currently, like, you know, so more, uh, there are around 45,000 small tea estates in, in, in the Nilgiris and okay. uh, 
and, and then that's what they mostly do. So they, they mostly do small time cultivation of either tea or uh, crops such as potatoes, okay. uh, cabbage, cauliflower, etc. But that's uh, uh, all of that is subject to a, a lot of uh, climate related, right? Like in you know, a sort of um, conditions impacts if you like right like which is unseasonal rainfall failed monsoons etc and also the, the the market situation they're not able they're at the very bottom of the um, value chain there and they don't right like you know sort of get enough for example right like you know sort of just an acre of tea um, gives an income of probably like in you know, around 200 to 300 pounds a year that's it Jesus. Right. Okay. So it, it it becomes very difficult for them to um, improve the standard of living. If you like. Right. So what 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 that's um, forced people to do is to sell their land to real estate developers, and that's the um, as, as as the current right like in a sort of view of. Um, resorts that are being built there right like with, with, with heavy construction and okay. large carbon footprints and and stress on local resources such as water etc right so it's destroying furthermore like the the vegetation and the, the rainforest that was previously there prior to the british invasion and you know prior okay. to the, the resorts so um yeah, I wanted to ask you, like, what are you, what have you decided to do about yeah. it yourself? And, uh, you know, I think we can talk about your involvement now. Yeah. So uh, b- before I go there, let me, mm-hmm. let me talk about what's, what's so unique about. Uh, oh, the yeah, the, the flora and yeah. fauna. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. The and fauna. Yeah. So they, the, so the Nilgiri Mountains form part of uh, UNESCO designated Nilgiri Biosphere Reserve. Okay. Um, so there are around. 24 peaks that are about 2,000 meters, so it's it's it's, it's pretty high. It's a, it's a plateau there, um, and it's one of the noted hotspots for speciation in the tropics, uh, which means right, like you know, sort of there's a huge amount of biodiversity within that reserve, right? The the reserve also has a host of forest systems, uh, ranging from seasonal rainforests to uh, to what we call the sholas in the higher reaches and, and, and some dry deciduous jungle towards the plains. Mm-hmm. Um, if, you, if you like, it's a, it's a kind of microcosm of all sorts of ecosystems in the world, microcosm of the world, I should say. Right. Um, the most interesting bit are the sholas. Okay. So the sholas can be described as a, as a, as a tapestry of okay. grasslands and thick rainforests. Okay. Um, they are also known as the uh, the shola grassland mosaic, right? Okay. And and every piece of shola is unique. It's okay. uh, it's estimated that around three hundred species of plants, including trees, creepers, epiphytes, orchids, etc., and a hundred odd species of ferns and bryophytes, which make up these shola plant communities. Right. And 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 several of them still are known to man. Okay. Uh, the grasslands are also home to more than 100 species of grass and 600 species of flowering plants, right? Now, so, some studies have showed that some of the uh, perennial gla- grasses that grow there, right. uh, called the tussock grasses, can live to more than 1,000 years old. Okay. And they can fix more carbon than the forests. That's crazy. <laughs> And, and, and it's also known for its uh, rich uh, biodiversity. Right. So the area has about, um, 
uh, you know, the, around 1,500 uh, species of plants are endemic to to that to, to the Western Ghats, um, of which, right, like in the Nile Greece is a part. Um, the the fauna, if you like, right, like it consists of over 1,000 species, uh, sorry, 100 species of mammals, over 500 species of birds, and uh, 30 species of reptiles. Um, some of the some of the well-known mammals that uh, uh, that you find there are the tiger, the elephant, the leopard, okay. various types of deer, the wild dog, the Indian wild dog called the dole, civets, uh, sloth bear, martin, this a uh, martin called the nilgiri martin, which is endemic to uh, to the nilgiri hills. Right. Um, giant squirrels, honey badgers. Mongooses, pangolin, a bit of everything, right? And, and there's this, yeah. But it's located right next to the, like your own small plot of land is located near the tiger reserve, right? Correct, exactly. Like, you know, so there's a there's a tiger reserve called the Mudumalai uh, Tiger Reserve, MTR. And uh, that forms a part of, right, like, you know, two or three connected reserves uh, spanning two or three uh, states in Southern India. And that bit of land has got the maximum concentration of tigers in the world. Am I, am I and, mistaken? Yeah. Is that where the um, they filmed the part of uh, you know David Attenborough's um, yeah as well, right? Yes, yes. It's it's come in in, in various different um, documentaries, right? Like in you know, a sort of over time. Uh, so my land is situated in what they call the uh, the buffer area of the okay. of the reserve, right? Like in you know, a sort of it's it's adjoining uh, the reserve. Um, so that's the um, that is a that is something called a, a an elephant corridor, right? Okay. Like in a sort of which uh, which was the 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 traditional migration path of the elephants that that cross the forest, but right, like in it also goes through uh, some of the land that we yeah. have in which the in, in the buffer areas. Yeah, <laughs> that's a bit unfortunate. So we, <laughs> exactly. So yeah, we regularly right, like you know, sort of have the <laughs> Elephants crossing the land. That's amazing. <laughs> so, so coming so, on to yeah, yeah, exactly. Go on regarding your um, you know, your um, your own small plot of land. Correct. Now knowing where it is, yeah. you know, what have you decided um, to do with it? And uh, yeah, yeah. Um, so this is right. Like you know, this again started with a uh, with the sense of what's what's happened to that land, right? Right. Um, if if you if you go back to uh, you know when we started um, uh, when we started settling up in the in the hills right like when people started settling up in the hills uh, the impact on the uh, ecosystem was very 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 negligible right like you know, it was a, it was a very sustainable relationship we we took only what we needed from the forest right uh, we used small patches of land to grow our stuff but right like you know, so when we are not growing growing stuff on the land right like the the, the forest just kind of recovers right like you know, so it just grows back um so you're, from living, you're the, living in harmony let's yeah. just say. exactly exactly um the the significant impact started when the uh, when, when when the British in, introduced large scale tea and coffee plantations in the in the mid nineteenth century. Um, there was a large scale logging of hardwoods, right? So teak, rosewood, sandalwood, etc., cetera, etc., cetera, right? Like you know, that destroyed large portions of the land. Right. 
And uh, if you just look at it today, less than 7% of the original grasslands remain of the original 70%, right? Okay. And in the middle, um, what's happened is um, there's the, uh, the, uh, uh, the grasslands were also mistakenly converted into uh, uh, plantations okay uh, uh, by introduction of some uh, invasive species like, like eucalyptus and wattle etc okay uh, that actually like you know destroyed most of the most of the grasslands so what i wanted to do was first of all right like you know sort of give something do something about it right <laughs> right and when i inherited land right like you know sort of the, the first thing i thought was okay fine right like you know i'll i'll, I'll give it back to the forest <laughs> right right i'll give it back to sholas now that was it was a very simple thought. Okay, let 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 me let the sholas grow back again, right? But that was it. wasn't as easy as that. Uh, that's when I um, I contacted uh, a, a local um, eco restor restoration firm, uh, Collapse Team Ecology, um, who were helping the regeneration activities. Okay. Right. So. My, my first thought was, let me grow a shola there. And so I did that for myself in, in my own acre. Right. Right. So we planted uh, uh, a number of, right, like, you know, so we, we, we tried to recreate the shola ecosystem, which includes grasslands, shrubs, and trees. Perfect. Um, so we planted more than 1,500 plants, and they contain three species of tussock grass. There's a grassland, seven species of shrubs, and uh, around 23 species of trees. Okay. Um, so that's that's the that's the first thing that we did. Um, but and what I also sorry, when was this? Uh, this was uh, starting two years ago. Okay. And so it was in 2019. It started okay. in 2019. Um, and the uh, then right, like, and we realized, okay, fine. That's that's what I did for my land like you know that's one acre uh, what i realized is uh, this is just a um, this is just one acre how do i scale it up and then i looked at right like you know sort of the uh, the rest of my community and i wanted to inspire people to to do the same but then i realized like you know, it has to be a, a a just model right so all all those uh, people uh, all those small land owners uh, depend heavily on this land for their um, income for the income it generates yeah so it had to have something for them so what i wanted to do was create a model where uh, you get an alternate source of revenue from the land through eco restoration and that was through two one uh, so the model like you know sort of it depends on two things one is um, income through uh, eco tourism perfect right? So for for uh, people uh, people are ready to spend time in the land, um, and there are various activities, eco-friendly activities, just camping, right. bird watching, wildlife watching, etc. Right, and and generate revenue through that. And the second thing is um, to see if right, like in a sort of the, the uh, corporates could kind of pay for uh, carbon offsets okay because of the carbon sequestration that's, right that's that that happens yeah but regarding so two questions i think regarding yeah. the ecotourism 
would you be able yep. to sort of um i would say associate your initiatives with the with the tiger reserve as well so sort of say look the because i'm sure that they have some sort of um, exercises for tourists for tourists to come would you be able to say look we're trying to do this on our own um shola restoration exercise would you be able to direct some of those tourists towards us as well or does it have to be your own uh, isolated exercise no um actually like you know sort of it will help so there the the, the large wildlife reserves uh typically like find it difficult to regulate tourists if you okay. like okay um just because of the logistics because it's a large area okay. and uh, there's a lot of man animal conflict and there's a there's a, a, a small group of people right like in forest rangers who have to take care of that that huge place right okay uh, so actually like you know sort of the uh, you know initiatives like mine uh, help okay because it's not in the core forest area if you like it's in the buffer area okay where it's it's less intrusive right but um, and and being a small area i can take care of tourists better right and they still have uh, the ability to uh, let's say spot tigers and and, and elephants and do right. all the wildlife watching right without being too intrusive on the on, on on the large sanctuaries so i think it's a it's 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 a win-win situation right that's very interesting and i think regarding the the corporate sort of involvement do you um let's just say okay you've decided to do what you've just described with your with your own acre and the, say a corporate you know whatever it is is looking to because more often than not they're looking to offset significantly their their emissions would is there sort of enough land there at, at your disposal in terms of if they wanted to purchase it would they be able to offset significant volumes or it would just have to be like a small exercise you know what i mean that would be maybe better suited for a small slash medium enterprise yeah so um so that's so, so the basics line up right so the corporates have a need to use carbon offsets right um grasslands specifically are massive carbon sinks especially looking at the soil surface and they are better carbon sinks than uh, forests okay right now the 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 combination of high rainfall low temperatures and the well adapted grassland ecology also acts as a humongous sponge right in addition to so in addition to carbon sequestration it also provides water sequestration okay. which is crucial for millions of people downstream right and and there are approximately 45000 tea growers small tea growers in 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 ilgris and, okay. and across my community right who could potentially convert their tea holdings to sholas okay the average revenue of the tea grower is about like i said 250 pounds a yeah, year nothing <laughs> non existent nothing right. exactly so the so growing sholas are good for the local ecosystem it's it's good for everyone right so right. if i could find find a a a way a commercial model to uh, to help the local tea grower right. even on the equivalent right this 250 pounds a year right then right like you know sort of it's a, it's, it's a win win situation all around right right so which is why uh, i've started this as a as a pilot and to just show people that that, that it can be done way. it can be done right um so, so i think right like in this there's, there's a huge potential right um, 
with uh, I'll I'll talk about you know what uh, upstream ecology right like you know sort of things about that's, okay fine absolutely that's what I wanted to ask you next and you know yeah. for example because as you said that you're you know people from the Badagas tribe they they know Correct. their land right it's they've converted yeah. it into tea because that was their use but you think also that if um, you know uh, your pilot exercise was to be scaled, yeah. then do you yeah. think that they, they would be sort of autonomous and sort of competent and be able to be responsible for their own small plot of land for, you know, um, apply regenerative agriculture and, you know, using sort of the same principle as uh, upstream ecology on your own uh, acre? Yes, yeah. So, um... Uh, I, I think, right, like, you know, sort of what, uh, what upstream ec ecology, right, like, it's, it's, it's very interesting. They've been uh, doing research on uh, for over 10 years um, on the incredible biodiversity. So um, they, the, the uh, founding uh, ecologist of uh, upstream ecology, a guy called Godwin Vasan Bosco. Okay. Um, he started the first native gra grassland nursery in this region, and he, he, he and he works on growing the entire spectrum of plants okay. right back for holistic ecological regeneration. Uh, they've been working on a plethora of gra grassroots level solutions that can combine the foundations of uh, building ecological security with economic viability for the local communities right, of the landscape. Right, so it's it's helping create these small plots of land, one to five acres that are restored to bring back all the ecological and aesthetic benefits of the native plant ecology, Perfect. Uh, which can be leveraged for right, like you know, sort of either the ecotourism model or right, like you know, sort of for carbon offsets, right? Um, and, 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 they are, and their view, right, like if close to even 500 such plots across the Nilgiri Plateau, plateau uh, get converted, it would have a major positive impact uh, to help preserve the um, endangered flora uh, and and you know improve the ecological security of the uh, of, of the plant too, which is pretty pretty um, fragile the other the the, uh, the founder godwin was has actually written a pretty comprehensive book on this called the the voice of a sentient highland okay and this and there's an interesting um, theory where he he explains that uh, you know he can he can feel that the mountains are sentient and they are responding. Okay. If only we give them a chance. Okay. And that's this is based on on on, on the research that he's seen where um, if you give the local ecology some space, right? If you kind of the opportunity to bring give it a little bit of the opportunity, it rigid it regenerates itself, right? It grows back. Amazing. Okay. So if you kind of protect it's a, it from it's yeah. a very unique ecosystem, isn't it? And it um, is. It is. And um, okay. So do you think that going forward, like how are the you know your local sort of fellow Balagas tribe? Yeah. How do, how do they feel? Do they are they looking, of course, for a way out? And have they been asking questions regarding your pilot exercise are they, are they curious are they curious or you know how, how do they feel about it are they scared correct so this is um, they are definitely definitely curious so I've, I've got into so many situations even even the um, um, even when you face some of the uh, the, the local uh, officials right for example right like you know sort of the, the for for agriculture there's a um, 
the, for, for solar lamps, for example, right, like and for eco-friendly energy to, to be used in, in, in local ag agriculture, uh, there are some uh, incentives provided by the local government. Okay. And uh, in one of these, one of the conversations, uh, it said, okay, fine, here's a piece of land that I'm growing a forest. And can I, can I use some of that? <laughs> right. Okay. And uh, there was an incredulous, right? Like initially looking at this price, why are you growing a forest? <laughs> <laughs> Right. What what's the crop that you're growing? Is that right? Like, it's the native crop. So, so it's it's a bit of right, like you know, sort of learning. But I think right, like you know, but uh, um, uh, organizations such as uh, Upstream Ecology, you've got WWF there. There's a lot of NGOs um, working actively uh, within within the Badaga community. There's a there's a huge uh, grassroots movement called Save Nilgiris campaign that's been okay. working at. Um, increasing our understanding of right like in a sort of what what it means in in, in, in terms of uh, protecting the local ecosystem so it's all slowly like you know sort of working its way now um upstream there's, there's also right like in a sort of good support from the from the local government if you like um so uh, for example um the upstream ecology and, and Godwin was Bosco is the founder as part of an expert committee appointed by the High Court of Tamil Nadu okay. for ecological restoration in the state. Right, so he also okay. works with the state forest departments to set up restoration programs. Right, um, so all of this is slowly, like you know, sort of moving in the right direction. Right um, now, in in in. Uh, as uh, upstream ecology like to say, so if these small plots of land uh, that are preserved uh, 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 can create these kind of micro islands of native biodiversity and strengthen the overall regenerative capacity of the local ecology to spread and thrive on their own. Of right? um, so if you get enough of these done, then right, like, you know, there's a kind of tipping point so, okay, right. they'll start spreading. Okay, I understand. Correct. I understand. Exactly, exactly. And and I think one of the concluding points I would like to ask you is that, of course, upstream ecology sort of operates with the sort of principle of my, in mind to regenerate um, an agriculture that is sort of complementary to the yep. the local sholas, right? It's not just yep. plant X Y Z. There is the the whole the the end result is to have a, a rainforest that is you know. Um, homogenous in in its uh, aesthetic and of course in its uh, functionality. Correct, correct, exactly, exactly. And uh, in 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 the experience, because right, like and there have been several pilots already done across Nilgiris. Okay. What what they found is that it it just takes about a year. Okay. For uh, that piece of land, you just protect it for a year. For example, from overgrazing, from cattle, from Elephants. from the wild, <laughs> wild, wild, wild bison, actually, like which is the biggest bovine in the world. <laughs> Jesus. Okay, okay. So you just protect it for uh, a year, and then right, like in a sort of it kind of catches hold and okay. regenerates it by itself. Okay. Uh, now for it to to reach the the same level as the uh, as the adjacent right like in a sort of native forest it'll take it'll it, it'll take years but then right like you know, it's 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 important for us to of course do this now right like of you know so the, the benefits might be for the for the future generations of course but 
we have to do this now. <laughs> of course, I understand. Yeah. And um, as a concluding point, is there anything else you'd like to add in terms of support that you might need or, you know, organizations that might want to get involved? Because I think, you know, carbon offsetting is at the, is at the tip of everybody's tongue at the minute. And I think it will become ever more prominent going forward with more uh, sort of stringent targets. So, uh, you know, if you could have an appeal out there, then it will be, this would be opportunity for you. Yes, uh, definitely, definitely. So there are one or two things that I want to really uh, ask for, if you like. So one is just to for people to take my idea and do whatever they can on their own, right? If if we are an inspiration for someone else in some part of the world to do something similar, that's a, that's a that's a big win, right? Now two is if there's any way in which um, the people can think they can support. For example, right, like, and if they listen to this podcast, I can, um, I can then, right, like, you know, sort of plant a number of trees yeah, of their choice. Of course, we can provide that. Con- the, yeah, that's yeah. the offsetting condition, okay. of course. Correct, exactly. And if there are any corporates who could, uh, who I could work with, or any other organizations who are working on. Um, uh, with corporates on carbon offsetting or any NGOs who would like to right, like you know, get involved. So I um, I welcome right, like you know, sort of all sorts of suggestions and help. Of course, and um, perfect. Thank you very much, Gado. It's been an absolute pleasure to hear about your story, and I'm sure it's uh, this is just the beginning. Look how much has happened in yes. two years. So um, we need to stay positive, otherwise, this uh, it's it's uh, exactly. it's a it's a loss from the start. Okay, exactly.